Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where we remember Colin Touchin, conductor, composer, RTHK Radio 4 presenter, music educator and clarinetist. Colin was a musical director for multiple choirs and orchestras, an enthused, warm, friendly man who inspired those who worked with him. On Colin Touchin's bio on the RTHK website, he stated that one of his passions was inspiring people to make music together. Colin Touchin died of cancer on September the 30th. On Radio 4, he presented Live on 4 and also his own show, In Touch with Music. His musical career began at the age of eight with a descant recorder made in Hong Kong, a city he would come to love having first come here in 1996. In this week's programme, I revisit the recording of a rehearsal of the Hong Kong Welsh Male Voice Choir, where Colin was a musical director, and also an interview in early 2020 with Colin about his love of music and Hong Kong. I also talk with choir member Bill Kong about Colin and his influence on the choir. So let's return to late November in 2018, when Colin kindly invited me to record the last rehearsal of the choir before they had a string of Christmas engagements throughout December. just started our second season together and we're getting on quite well because the things that I've brought to the choir I think are uh, the energy that I like in call singing, the attack, the articulation and so on. We've talked quite a bit about tuning, breathing, line and so on and they're doing extremely well. I came to Hong Kong first about 21, 22 years ago and I've been coming backwards and forwards when I was still in England and I've actually now been living in Hong Kong since 2015 and uh, enjoying it very much indeed and the working with this choir has been something new this last couple of years. I think that, I mean, the sound when they're ensemble is absolutely phenomenal. It is very good. We're, this is something we've been working on. It's just a sense of how to sing together to make a sound as if it's one person, but just in different parts. And that has developed really well in the last, well, I think we took a while for us to get going on that, but I think in the last six or seven months, we've really developed that very nicely. So I'm really thrilled with them, because I think they're doing a great job.
accent's a bit North England. It is, yes. Uh, I was born in Liverpool, but moved when I was two to Manchester, and most of my life was spent in Manchester. My father came from Bristol area, my mother from North Newcastle. So between them, they gave <laughs> my brother and me a sort of mixture of accents, but they wanted us to speak in BBC English. But sometimes I drop the last consonant of my words, I know, so they do sound a little bit Northern. <laughs> is this the first Welsh male voice choir you've worked with? It is, yes. I worked with a male voice choir which actually is under the barbershop heading in the UK, actually the Three Spires Chorus in Coventry. And also I've been involved with some of the work of the Barbershop Association in the UK. Um, I was involved with the Associated British Choral Directors as well. But over here there's nothing quite like that. And barbershop is a little bit rare here. There are some groups, but not many. And there are one or two very good a cappella groups doing more modern music. But this, I think, is the one pure Welsh choir. Obviously, in, uh, in Asia, there are two or three other choirs, but we reckon this one is the best. In terms of barbershop, can you just give us a quick explanation? Okay, well, barbershop is a close harmony for usually for male parts, but it can also be now for female parts. And what we're trying to do throughout the world is spread the idea that this close harmony singing, which is a very solid tradition from America originally, will actually protect itself. There is actually a society, Spebsqua, which is actually the society for the protection of the style as much as the development. And they have wonderful uh, conventions all over the year. They're particularly in Holland. It's very strong over there. Now it's growing in Asia, Australia, the Southern Hemisphere, but particularly America is good. And Britain, of course, has what's called BAPS, the British Association of Barbershop. And with a Welsh male voice choir, I mean, other than the name, so it's it's derived from Wales, and so would this have been, like, colliery choirs? Absolutely, or? yeah. I mean, the original choirs came from those areas where there were men together. They probably just started singing any sort of song to get together, but, of course, the chapel is important in Wales as well, the, the choral singing in church, and that is really a twofold thing because it gives you the musical style of singing in harmony and in parts, but it also gives you the sonority of singing in a closed space where you get this wonderful resonant tone. So when these guys sing outside, the aim is to try and represent that same choral sonority, and that's actually quite difficult. If you've got no walls to bounce off, you've really got to have the sound inside yourself.
one that I really know with a, a Welsh male voice choir is Men of Harlech. Yeah, they've done that last year. We haven't been doing it for a few months now. Um, we try to rotate the famous Welsh numbers so that we don't do them all all the time. But there are one or two that we have in the repertoire now that we will be doing in our Christmas programme simply because they are Welsh and we want to uh, show our identity and keep in practice. And what they are? Well, there's Evori and Asbredanos and Ahidanos. That's known as All Through the Night, which might be quite well known to the people. Uh, that last one's an unaccompanied. The other two have piano and the more modern, slightly gentle rocking rhythms in the keyboard parts. And will you be doing either of those tonight? We're going to do them again, yes. We have done them right at the beginning uh, with Nicole, but the other two pianists also have to go through. I see Emus has arrived, so we'll have to go through them again. Up till summer, we had one pianist for 11 years. Now he's moved to China. So now we have other pianists who are standing in for each other, as it were. We have appointed two, but uh, Nicole has joined the team, really, because we can't get those t or all of them t available. Because we have so many Christmas engagements, we need to make sure we've got a good pianist for each, so that's why we're rehearsing them all to get ready. Yes, it's fun to be at your last uh, rehearsal of the year. <laughs> it's a bit panic-stricken, because <laughs> in the next 40 minutes, I've got to get through most of that material again twice with two pianists. So, yes, you will get new versions of it, and we'll see if we can keep it moving. Good luck, Colin. Okay, thank you. <laughs> been in the Hong Kong Welsh Male Voice Choir for now would have been 33 years since I left a few years ago. Now, um, I was running my own business, so I actually, in the early 2010, 2013, I really didn't go to the choir as frequently as uh, previously, weekly and things like that. And then um, around 2016, I was in Beijing. So when I got back from Beijing 2017 to relocate back to Hong Kong, the choir told me that um, the previous MD has um, retired and there's this new chap called Conrin Touchin. You know, I, I came back to choir uh, weekly and I found him very inspirational, very friendly. We both happened to be at the same university of mm. different years. So it became very, you know, like um, a powie for me. And then, of course, musically, he was a great MD, a musical director, a great um, inspiration. Not everyone in the choir sings to the same standard level. And so there are challenges for him. But he took it, you know, with a smile all the time. He inspired everybody, whether you are great or whether you are relatively inexperienced or whether you, you, you know, you don't know how to read music or whatever. It didn't matter. For him, we were a choir 
and everybody in, in the choir, you know, deserved their place. So, so that's very inspirational, especially for um, choir members who are not as experienced or as um, gifted on the music side. Because every year since 2013, I've been going to the Llangollen International Music Guys Deadford, which is where I live now in Llangollen, the town. And I found that, um, you know, I, I really wanted the Hong Kong Welsh Male Voice Choir, the choir to go and um, perform at the International Steadford, which is the big thing. And Colin was really behind that. We were very privileged to have him. He's just an incredible man. So generous, so friendly, so youthful, so competent. Conductor, as a musical director, composing songs, transposing songs, you know. He's rearranged songs, the Welsh songs, to suit our choir or suit other choirs. A big loss for us as a choir and as a friend. the clarinet and the recorder as a more or less professional player. Um, I also play the piano as a useful tool. I never was great on the piano, but it is useful, obviously, to be able to play scores and to find out what other people are talking about in music. I enjoy conducting very much indeed the opportunity of sharing music with a lot of people and guiding them to a, a sort of combined experience of what the music is about. I love composing and I do a lot of that. I've been adjudicating, actually, since I was in my early 20s, and I love the opportunity of adjudicating young musicians, particularly, who are playing sort of 
sometimes for the first time in a festival, opportunities for them to experience what it's like to play to people, what it's like to develop their styles of classical, baroque and romantic music, and to bring together some threads of music teaching, which I can do in a public forum as an adjudicator. So it's a bit like a very practical way of teaching, even though it's called adjudicating. And that's rather different from examining, which I can't really do. I mean, I have tried it briefly, but that's a very much more objective measure, and it doesn't really appeal to me so much. Now, you recently got back onto the clarinet. That's right. Well, when I was very young, the first thing I played would be the piano in our house. My father had a piano. And then I, at my eighth birthday party, one of my guests brought me a plastic descant recorder, which was, funnily enough, made in Hong Kong. And <laughs> I tried playing this, and I sat in a corner playing this recorder during my party, being very antisocial, but clearly I was drawn to the recorder. Um, since then, I moved on to better instruments and found also that I could play the clarinet. For some reason, I came home from primary school one day and said to my parents, I'm going to play the clarinet. Nobody knows why. I think we've been to a Halle <laughs> Orchestra concert and I was just drawn to the clarinet. So yes, for my 10th birthday, they bought me a clarinet and luckily at the next school I went to, the grammar school, um, the clarinet teacher happened to be in the Halle Orchestra. So I actually got lessons from a very good player right at the beginning. I was very lucky. Now, that's quite a hard instrument to play, I think. I think every instrument's hard to play well. Uh, I think you can get noises out of most instruments fairly easily. Some of them are very unpleasant noises at the beginning, <laughs> uh, but some are quite pleasant even at the start. So I think the, the subtlety of playing any wind instrument is, of course, how you use your breath to articulate the music, how you phrase, how do you, if you like, sing through the instrument. Of course, there are aspects of fingering and tonguing and learning how to make all the notes in time, but the essential thing with any wind instrument is that it should be a bit of your soul expressed through the air you push through the tube. And the problem with a lot of wind playing is that very often we are taught to make a beautiful sound all the time. And so you start to make the beautiful sound on a long note, and the same beautiful sound on your scales, and the same beautiful sound all the way up from bottom to top. So actually it doesn't have a lot of character if we're not careful. It becomes simply a beautiful sound. And that to me is not enough. Uh, it doesn't express enough of all the things that music can do. We need something rough. We need something with edges. We need some spike and some sparkle. And you don't get that if it's always a bland, beautiful sound, even if it is a very nice, beautiful sound. So I think as teachers and as players and even as composers inspiring others, we have to look for sounds that are not straightforward and simple. So you came here with Warwick University, mm -hmm. and then did you sort of, was that your first time to Hong Kong? That's right, it was 96, it was about the year before the handover, I guess, and I didn't know that was going to happen, I just came here because the university sent me, but I had a whale of a time, I was just here for a week, I loved Hong Kong immediately, I just loved the, the, the speed and the pace of life. The people I met here who were involved in music, they all said, well, you must come and live here, and I said, no, no, I'm quite happy with my life in the UK, I'm doing plenty of stuff over there, and each time I came to Hong Kong, and in fact I came back every year, from that year on, sometimes not through the university, just through the contacts I made. And sometimes I came back six times in a year, and I just enjoyed being here, and people kept inviting me back, so I would keep coming. And they kept saying, please, you must come and live here. So eventually, about four years ago, we actually made that decision to come and live here. Tell me what you do for Radio 4. Okay, well, I do a programme every Saturday morning, which is uh, three hours of a section on chamber music, a section of choral music, and a section of wind band music. I actually select CD tracks from my own collection, and then I link them together and make a little uh, announcement about the performers, the composer, a bit of background and so on, and just join it together so that the programme runs um, each morning so that we actually have, I think, a fair bit of variety of things that I am interested in, which I hope other people at home will be interested in as well. That's one of the programmes I do. I 
also do some voiceovers for programs like Music of Friends and Live on Four, the concerts, and I was starting to do some outside broadcast as well, which is very exciting. So I'm very keen to be part of this very big family of people who are involved in music and music production. But they, again, the commitment here within the station seems to be tremendous to share, again, what is going on in the city with the people of the city, and their desire is to do high-quality programs, get them technically well-prepared and accurate as often as we can, and emulating the other great radio programs around the world. So when you uh, choose your from your, I mean, so this is a, a lot of these, as you say, are coming from your collection. That's right. So yeah. you digitised or you're on CD? It's all CDs. Yeah. So today, for example, I'm recording later on. I've got a bag full of CDs, <laughs> and I spend a few hours going through finding tracks. And each week I do the same, um, and I make sure that the pr programmes that I've got uh, are made of, of, of hope a balance of mostly music that uh, is going to be tuneful enough for people who've never heard it before yeah. to like it, but also sometimes things that are strange and different, things that people may not have had the chance to hear, may not have wanted to hear, but in the context of music where they do actually hear something that they like and they immediately like, then this something strange may not be too off-putting. And I hope that they will listen to the whole programme and listen to new things with an open ear for the fact that this is chamber music or choral music where composers are trying things out and uh, experimenting with the forces they have. I think that's great because it's a form of education but I think what I enjoy, I know I'm biased because I'm part of RTHK, but what I enjoy is there's a lack of snobbery to RTHK's Radio 4. I, I do feel that, you know, even if you're a layman listener, which I am a lot of the time, I'm not, um, I'm not lost. Mm. Um, so much of, I think sometimes people's perception of classical music can be that it's all frightfully highbrow. That's very true. I think that we're, we're taught, if you like, that there's high art and yes. therefore logically there must be low art. <laughs> and of course there's this big difference between popular music and classical music. And of course classical, strictly speaking, only applies to about 40 years of the history of music and that period of the classics. Otherwise it's baroque music or romantic music and classical music shouldn't actually be all the other music apart from popular. You know, we misuse the word, but it gives it the wrong image to a no, lot of I people. I didn't know that. So what yeah. is classical music Well, then? the classical period is essentially about 1770 to 1810, 1820. Before that, you have the Brock period. pre-classical period, uh, Rococo and Galong styles, and then you go through the classical period, which obviously included Mozart and Haydn and so on at their heyday, and as they turn into the uh, 1800s, of course, you're beginning to find the, the image of romanticism is coming through, and certainly by the time you get to Beethoven, late Beethoven, Schubert, uh, Berlioz indeed, obviously in the 1820s, 1830s, we're into romanticisms. Classical music has gone. So the classics, or the classical period, is a very strict period, and amongst musicians, we like to think that classical music is therefore just that period of about 40 years around the turn of the century. Otherwise, it's Baroque or it's Romantic or it's Renaissance, Medieval. Um, there is a label for it, if you like, and the label classical shouldn't be there. I'm very amused that many years ago, the Times, in their Sunday magazine, decided to put out all the different arts things. They had cinema and you had theatre. You also had rock and you had music and you had Classical. <laughs> classical was made by the times into a little ghetto, uh, not even called music, not even called rock or pop or anything. It was called classical, and it was made, therefore, to be different from music. And that sort of shows you a little bit about the way people treat classical music, as if it is in some way almost offensive. <laughs> Uh, 
And I do recall, <laughs> even in Coventry, where I used to live, we had trouble with some sort of youngsters, should we say, in the evenings making noise in the city. So what the council did was they put loudspeakers above the squares where the youngsters congregated. And from about 7 o'clock in the evening, they played Beethoven, and suddenly the youngsters disappeared because classical music, in the broadest sense, was being used as an offensive weapon to make sure people disappeared. Oh, that's <laughs> such a shame. I, I do, that's not fair on it's Beethoven, not at all, is it? No, but it, it worked, unfortunately, to get rid of the students at that age of that type because they clearly didn't appreciate that music in their space. Their space was where they wanted to listen to their own music and they couldn't stand this, as it were, older authority music coming out from elsewhere. Now, I mean, what I find also interesting about certain types of classical music, Beethoven included, is just how incredible it is when you are transported mm. by, by a piece of music. What would you say, and I know you've got a vast collection, mm. but if you want to sort of clap a pair of earphones on and have that experience, what would you choose? Uh, depends very much on the time of day and the mood and the feeling and so on. Um, a good bit of Bruckner's fourth or seventh would do quite nicely. A little bit of uh, Barbara Adagio, or maybe not just the version for strings, but the choral version, the Onions Day as well. It's actually the adagio for strings. Originally, that was a string quartet, and it was, he created a full string orchestra version, which became very popular, of course, as a, a sort of a sad piece that people would often use after the Second World War. But also, he put words to it, the Anya's Day, and made it into a choral piece. So you hear the same music as you, is played by strings, but sung. And, of course, the double expression of human voices with this particularly profound piece of music make it very telling and very inspiring. If I'm wanting something that might sort of uplift me, I might sort of look for a bit of jazz or um, some music, say, from Africa, some native drumming or something. There's a wide variety of stuff. If I want to be genuinely excited about music, I'm afraid I always go back to Brahms, because to me he's the greatest composer. Uh, the combination of expression and the skill of composing notes that fit together, that make patterns out of, from three or four notes to create a whole symphony, I don't think there's anybody who did it better. Second symphony, for example, of the four symphonies is one that begins with just those three notes, um, the D, C sharp, D, and from that moment you realise that he's going to use just those notes to invent a whole movement of inversions and extensions of those three notes, and the first movement of that symphony has always struck me as being one of the finest examples of development. When you were saying that sometimes on a Saturday morning you will have a whole variety of music, what were the three? That was choral? The chamber music is the first hour, choral is the second hour, and the wind band is the third hour. Now, within the wind band, I sometimes include a little bit of brass band as well, because that's obviously a very big repertoire in the UK particularly, now growing certainly in Europe and in Australia. And we have started a brass band here in Hong Kong as well, uh, which we call the British Brass Company, the BBC of Hong Kong. But also the chamber music is a, something very close to my heart. When I was teaching in Manchester, I worked with a cellist and a pianist, and I played the clarinet 
that. So we would often do trio concerts. And I realized that the difficulty we had as a group was to match the different playing techniques, in my case, wind instrument with the bowing of the string instrument and the touch of the keyboard, to make the same musical result, but from very different technical skills. And that was a wonderful challenge that we addressed very openly amongst ourselves. And we kept talking about how do we make this chord, this note, work when we're playing in such different ways. I realized then that chamber music is the one field of music where you can concentrate on a small number of instrumental resources and you can concentrate on putting together that sound to make a whole that is very satisfying. Remembering Colin Tutchin, who died a week ago and leaves a wife, Alicia. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>